Welcome to today's Back to Business podcast episode. I'm joined by Nathan Ferguson. Nathan works with Graminus Consulting based out of Tierman and has been an agronomist for 20 odd years. Prior to settling in Tierman, Nathan has worked around uh, New South Wales and into Victoria, including Moree, Canamble, Condoblin and Horsham. So he's certainly got a skill set that runs further afield than his current um, place of residence. Importantly, we're talking today about moving forward and growing more feed and pasture recovery after a disaster and during a rebuild. So despite the fact that um, Nathan's talking to us from an area which was severely impacted by a bushfire, a lot of the principles that we talk about I imagine are going to be the same. Nathan, welcome to the podcast. And I guess, can we start by just discussing a little bit about, you know, out of the disasters, whether they be drought or fire, we've got some opportunities with our feed base to drive our businesses forward. Yeah, hi, Megan, thank you. We do, like every time we have a disaster, there's always an opportunity. So the opportunity arises when we look backwards. So how do we get to where we are today? Um, what what was our paddocks and our pastures in prior to the disaster coming? So for us, particularly with the recent bushfire, the Duns Road fire, one of the biggest in the in the state and country's history, came through that uh, January period. Um, a lot of the pasture recovery was actually driven by what's happened before the fire and then what have you done to your pastures since the fire came through? So I kept saying to anybody that had been burnt out, your highest priority is to fix your boundary fences. Then the next highest priority is to have a paddock that is not being burnt and is able to be repaired. So use it as a sacrifice paddock. So every time we, we talk to producers or especially our clients, we talk about where are you? How have you got to where you are today? And where do we want to be in 12, 18 months time? And and everybody wants to look at the opportunity to replace fences. Now, was the fence in the right place or are we going to move it? And it's surprising how many people say, oh no, I'm happy that fence has always been the right place. Or no, that fence, it's just got to move. It's in the wrong place. Um, so we always see things as an opportunity. How can we do better? And Nathan, I guess in a lot of our areas, we've we've had a, a real change in seasonal conditions, which has been, you know, quite a relief for people that were both bushfire affected and drought affected, because, you know, things were pretty dire, you know, over the summer with no rain and and bushfires and and drought. Moving forward, how do we sort of go about assessing our feed base and our pastures, and and how do we prioritise? what we need to do with them as we, we begin to rebuild our business. Okay, so every every paddock has a history and that history drives us to the point we are today. So the first thing I like to know when I walk into a new pasture paddock is what species is it? When was it sown? Um, what's the soil fertility? When when did your soil test it last? Um, how, because that will give us an, in, an insight into how that pasture is going to look in that three months time coming spring in six months time how how will that pasture respond and provide the feed required to feed your animals on your farm so having soil test data is really akin to to knowing the future and, and reading the future 
So we talk about critical values and understanding what the, so the critical value, Megan, it, the critical value is where the pasture will produce at 95% of its non-limiting, um, nutrient limiting ability. So we talk about phosphorus all the time. Um, the critical value for phosphorus depends on what the phosphorus buffering index is in the soil. That's inherent. So you only need to test it once and that'll give you a critical value. Because soils vary across the landscape, every paddock we manage has got a different critical value. But knowing how close to critical we are allows us to make decisions about how much fertiliser we do or don't need to apply to those paddocks. So when we know we're at critical, we know that that pasture's probably got sufficient nitrogen ticking around in that system and going to respond relatively well to rainfall. If you're well down on, on critical, so if you're 10 to 20 parts per million below critical, then nitrogen's probably limiting in that system. Um, you could get an immediate boost by applying nitrogen, but it won't fix your long-term uh, problem of, of correcting soil phosphorus in this instance and growing more legume to, to fix more nitrogen to grow more grass. I guess thinking about our limitations, after we've had, for example, a fire go through, we've got to think about a, a few different elements to, to how we go about, I guess, prioritising which paddocks we think might recover a little bit better, a bit faster, uh, what species are there, what species were there. How do we sort of, you know, how soon do we go back in and start looking and testing, like you've talked about testing the soil, how soon do we go back and look at what's actually starting to regrow? Like obviously, you know, after a bit of rain would be most beneficial, but, you know, talk us through a little bit about how we might prioritise and, and schedule going through and having a look at our pastures. So let's let's just concentrate now on the southwest slopes through the through the tumid Tumbarumba area. The fire went through um, between Christmas and and just after New Year. So I think it was about the 30th or something. It started and blew through, and the worst day was the 4th of January. So when do, when's the opportunity to go back? Well, for me, I was in the paddock about five days after the fire at Yavin Creek had gone through. Um, and there was phalaris that had responded without any rainfall. It was up to about five centimetres in, in new leaf growth after the fire had burnt the plants. So wow. you obviously want to look as soon as possible to make sure what green growth is there is protected. So if that farmer had left the cattle on that paddock and even ferals in that paddock, I suppose, for that matter, um, which unfortunately or fortunately for him, there, there weren't too many left after the fire. So um, grazing management begins as soon as the fire's out. Um, any green leaf that's grazed, the more you graze it, the more stress and duress it's going to be under. So we started looking, like I said, five days after. The real looks didn't come till, oh, look, the temperatures cooled down and we had that big change come through middle of February. And that was really our break. Um, so we had a lot of clover germinate and that was up, that gave us the ability to say, how was this paddock performing last year? Well, it had good clover seeds that if the season keeps going, this clover's going to be here all year. If it turns hot and dry, this clover's probably going to die. So if you're in a, in a stand that had really poor seed set for the last two or three years, because what happens is you, as your phosphorus runs out, 
the plant production run is di diminishing and your seed set diminishes. So if you knew that you've had two poor years in a row and poor seed set, and if it stopped raining at that point, we might have had a problem. So we have the luxury of hindsight. Um, here on the 5th of May, we've had fantastic rain up to uh, 300 and something mils through through for the uh, calendar year so far. Um, most of our pastures are now in a state where we're able to make a decision. Have we got enough feed going forward? Is it of quality that's going to meet our livestock requirements? And if not, what tools are available to us to, to manipulate? And a lot of them are, well, I know that that was a weedy annual grass pasture last year. I know I've got an opportunity, so I'm going to actually winter clean that and take that out and, and take a hit on winter feed going forward. So the, the, the gate opened in February. It's still open until we, we run into June. Um, from June on, the, the gate sort of closes as to what else we can do for now and the future. So winter cleaning is one tool. Oversowing pastures is another tool that's still available to us. Um, sowing cereals into paddocks that you look at look at it and say, well, it just not hasn't responded as well as I'd like to have. I need some feed in, in eight weeks' time. So sowing a forage brassica or a cereal is, is um, akin to providing that feed in the future. But again, I, I harp on it, soil test data is, is very useful. Without the soil test data, you could plant a brassica into a paddock. Um, it's got an acid soil. As soon as that brassica hits the acid soil, it's going to stop growing and, and send the root sideways. Uh, we run out of moisture, that brassica fails, and we get eight weeks time down the track and go, well, why did that fail? Well. If we had a soil test to tell us that we had an acid soil, you would never have sown the brassica in the first place. So looking backwards to go forwards is always key. Um, it, it tells us a lot to why we are in the position we're in today. So looking, yeah. looking at today, oh. understanding how we got to where we are today really helps us look forward to plan for the future. I guess it doesn't matter you know, what you're aiming to do. Information's power in so many cases, and, and this is a, a really solid casing point. Nathan, you talked a little while ago about the um, importance of not leaving your stock in on pastures that are just starting to recover, whether that be from a fire event or drought. What do you say, what do you reckon is the critical dry matter? How much dry matter do you want to see in a paddock before you reckon putting stock back in has allowed that pasture to recover to a point where it's not under unnecessary duress? So the, the rough rule of thumb is about 1,500 kilograms. Now, depending on where you are as to what 1,500 kilograms looks like. So the further west we go and more into the rangelands we go, 1,500 kilograms looks very different to 1,500 kilograms up here in the slopes. So you're really looking for plant development to, one, the plants you don't want to be pulling out. And so normally about that 100 to 150 mils of regrowth is probably your time that you're able to be grazing. Um, how much of that you utilise, so in the, the rangelands, you, you probably only want to utilise um, 30 to 40% of that because there's not there's a lot of space between your plants. Whereas up here in the in the hills, in the in the slopes country and tablelands, you could take that right back to uh, with sheep, probably um, 25 mils before you spell that paddock with cattle, yeah, probably 40, 50 mils. So 
let's go back to old school, four inch, four inches in, two inches out for cattle and, and probably one and a half, yeah, inch, inch and a half for sheep. So that's probably the easiest way to look at it. Yeah, and, and I guess that the, the point is don't be leaving livestock in stressed pastures, um, you know, after you've had some, some rain or some sort of break in the, the season to, to allow it to recover. There's tools available. So if you've, if you've fixed your nitrogen problem by applying um, urea, for instance, um, that's going to re relieve the stress that that pasture was under. Um, the rainfall is going to help wash that nitrogen into the system. The plant's going to grow more so you're able to graze it earlier. So there is a few little levers you can pull to bring that grazing forward. But again, it's time and temperature, uh, time, rainfall and temperature. It's, they're the three drivers. Doesn't matter where you are, they're, they're the keys, aren't they? Yeah. Oh, look, and soil fertility underlies all of that. If, you, if your soil is at critical values, um, the time to, to grazing, the, the moisture required is a lot lower than if you, you're really um, well below critical and your pasture struggling to get up there. So, look, the cotton industry, um, love it or loathe it, um, it coined a phrase when I was in Moree, measure to manage, and that's stuck with me since then because if we're not measuring, how can we manage? Um, and that's one of the things I always talk about. We need to measure our soils, we need to measure our pastures so that we can manage them going forward. Absolutely. So in terms of going forward, we we know that there's a lot of people that are a little bit understocked now that the feed's got away. It seems to have galloped away in a lot of areas and that the time for recovery, um, certainly in, in the drought area where, you know, where I'm from, but, you know, it sounds the same in, in the bushfire recovering areas. Feed's got away. There's the opportunity to really hone in on, on where the weaknesses are in our feed base for future years. I just want to explore that a little bit. What, what are your thoughts on, on doing that, Nathan? Yeah, so if you've, if you've got the opportunity because your numbers are down, um, using a, a tool like winter cleaning to clean out uh, vulpia silvergrass, which is a very weedy annual grass found in pastures, when we winter clean, we, we, we're actually creating a feed gap because we stop everything growing for a, a period of time. We remove a, available feed because we'll also take out a, a proportion of the annual ryegrass. We'll take out majority of barley grass and, um, and soft brome. So most of our winter growing annual grasses are, are taken out at a time when feed supply is, is most limiting. So when you've, you've understocked, you've got the ability to, to now clean that pasture up, come in next year with a, a fresh plan and um, direct drill ryegrass back into the system. If that pasture hasn't been sown for a while, it may pay to update the legume species in that system, more so to update the rhizobia than it is to actually update the, the variety. Um, the, if the rhizobia are, are 20 or 30 years since that paddock had something done to it, um, there's some new rhizobia in the, the marketplace that are probably more efficient at uh, creating a symbiotic effect with that legume species and fixing more nitrogen in a fashion that uh, the old species just aren't up to. So, yeah, if you hear someone say, you need to add more legume to your, your legume dominant pasture that you've just winter cleaned last year, um, the reason for that is generally to update the rhizobia, not the variety of subclover or medic. 
Okay, that's a, that's an interesting point. And I guess building on that, how do we go about making sure that we're selecting the right and most appropriate varieties or species or, or forage crops for our area? You talked about pH before. People can um, really sort of fall into some traps by getting information from uh, the wrong source or or a bit of hearsay or you know watching something on social media that doesn't apply to their own situation. What are your key tips for people making sure that they're sowing the right species and varieties in their, their own area? Data is king. If someone says to you, sow species X instead of species Y or cultivar Z instead of cultivar A because it performs so much better, ask them for the data. Where's, where's your evidence that suggests that that is true? So independent qualified advice is uh, is is gold um, and it should be treated as such so when somebody comes onto your farm and says you should do x y and z you should say and how do you know i should do x y and z and not a b and c so you need to have that knowledge in yourself and confidence in yourself to ask you're telling me to spend invest in in this product why is the investment in this product better than the investment in the, the alternative so if somebody's selling a product to you, you need to ask, what benefit is that person getting from that sale? And if they're up front and tell you and their data is credible and that variety stacks up, then then by all means go that way. And unfortunately, having come out of the DPI, um, I'm not sure that the capacity is there that it was like a dozen or so years ago, 10 years ago. You, you're able to pick up the phone, call your local district agronomist. Um, those people are few and far between now. Um, and, and anybody that picks up the phone of and was to call myself or, or another independent agronomist and say, what should I be doing? And you should question that advice and say, well, how do you know? Where, where, does, that, where does that advice come from? So, so local knowledge and local experience is really important. It's not discounting the fact that uh, your next door neighbour might have some really valuable experience that can go into that mix. It's really about making sure that you, you're distilling that information and taking the key points that are applicable. That's right. And look, everybody talks about their successes and very few talk about their failures. And you'll hear, especially in the cropping zone, oh, I sowed, I sowed a crop in on the, uh, the 1st of September and I stripped it on the 1st of November and it, it yielded 30 bags. You know, how often does that happen? Um, not very often. And, and what, what risk are you willing to take for, for it to be the year this year? It's the same with pastures um, and livestock. Like you, you need to need to weigh up the, the good with the bad and look at what risk portfolio you're going to, to overlay your property to meet your goals. So really, look, benchmarking your farm is, is an essential. You need to understand where do I sit financially? Why do I sit here today? And where do I want to be in the future? So, so a younger person is obviously going to probably take more risks because they 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 may need to be in a position where they've got to pay back debt or or need to pay, need to earn more money compared to an older person who's at the end of their life cycle and and is looking to pass the farm on to a, another owner, whether that's family or someone else. So, identifying your risk profile and where you sit in life is, is quite relevant. And unless your advisor understands where you sit, um, I don't think they can provide sound advice going forward. That's really good advice, Nathan. And, and I, I think, you know, people emerging from disasters 
can quite often be averse to, to taking unnecessary risk due to a whole multitude of factors, whether it be the fact that that what's happened to them has been, you know, on a very large scale and been quite a traumatic or might have been, you know, a long-winded drought or, you know, a, a terrible fire as we've seen happen. There's there's a whole lot of, you know, information out there that can help you move forward with your pastures and your feed base, which are going to drive your livestock enterprise forward without taking unnecessary risk. And I, and I think you've touched on the point there that it's really important to get some some credible and sound advice. And, and I think that's something that, you know, along with those, those key points that we talked about with regards to uh, driving pasture going forward, another one is to, um, you know, make sure that that information that you're bringing on board's uh, the right information for your own situation. Yeah, and look, Pseudoscience and anecdotes are rife in our industry, unfortunately, um, and, and sound evidence and data can be hard to find at times, but it is out there and, and certainly seek it. Seek it out and um, ask your advisor for evidence. Don't just take them at face value. Nathan, just we're just about out of time and we just want to wrap up. But one thing that I did want to mention is that um, in the webinar that we uh, ran today on this topic, you showed a lot of slides with regards to recovery from different intensity and heat profiles of fire and how pastures can respond in that, that regard. And I guess I wanted to make the point that those pictures were really quite powerful and if people wanted to have a look at those, to have a look online, uh, sheepconnectnsw.com.au and under the tools and resources tab, they'll find the webinar recording from today because there's some really beneficial photos and images in there accompanied by um, your your um, discussion about it, which I think would really add value if people are looking to be driving their feed base forward. And look, once COVID-19 lifts, the restrictions lift, if you want to see what happens after a fire, get in your car, drive down the Snowy Mountains Highway between the Sturt Highway and Adelong and, and head south up drive down Yavin Creek through Taradale to Tumbarumba all the way down to Tuma and you'll see varying management practices and varying, uh, varying recoveries of, of how different management strategies get you to different places and how pastures recover. And, and I'll challenge anybody to look in that system and say there's a paddock there that's not recovering. They're all recovering to their own abilities and, and like I said, you've got to look backwards to, to see why the pastures in the state they're in and, and sometimes it may be soil fertility, it could be species selection, um, but in our experience, most pastures in the in the pasture zone, so in, in pasture paddocks, have recovered exceptionally well. The only spots that haven't recovered are uh, heavily timbered or uh, blackberry patches, um, areas like that. So when COVID-19 uh, restrictions lift, if you want to see how it's recovered, um, that's, that's what I'd be doing, driving from Yavin Creek to Tuma, and uh, taking in the sights and scenes of uh, the beautiful um, snowy valleys. That's nice advice. It's, it's a good idea um, you know, to go and spend some money locally as well. And I'd say the same up in the, the mixed farming and, you know, further west of, of from where you're situated there at Tume at Nathan is um, I've been amazed, you know, I'm, I'm at Forbes, I've been amazed at the, the recovery of, of the countryside locally, but a bit further afield as well. Um, during some of my uh, pre-lockdown travels. 
Uh, and it's been just, just amazing to see how forgiving our country can be after uh, whether it be a, an extended period of dry or a, the ravages of a, of a bushfire. Yeah, um, definitely. And look, when I was at Canamble, there was always the old saying, uh, this will stick to you in the wet if you stick to it in, in the dry. And uh, the photos I've, and footage I've seen further west of Canamble, like out at Corinda and the like, the, the growth and response out there is phenomenal. So like I said, get your soil fertility right, just add rainfall and time and uh, most pastures will bounce back. So if you live down the coast and you were burnt out, go and go and look at the response. If you live up the uh, the northern tablelands and, and had areas burnt out, go and have a look at the response if you want to see what pastures do. The critical thing is to, you, you can't be judging management practices because you need to stop and say, well, why is that paddock in the state it's in and not judge because you're always going to see one paddock that may be better than the other. Now, that paddock may have received a hit of urea that nobody saw go out in the middle of the night ahead of rainfall. So there's always little tricks of the trade that, that make paddocks perform better than others. Um, the key is, is there pasture and is there ground cover there? And if so, that's probably a positive. Nathan, that's all we've got time for today. I just wanted to thank you for your time and, and your wisdom on this topic because you know, it doesn't matter where you are. I think that those key factors that you talked about are just paramount in uh, driving your feed base forward, no matter where you are. And, you know, I just wanted to say thanks for catching up with us again this afternoon. Thanks, Megan. I've really appreciated the discussion. Okay, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Nathan. Thanks, bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Back to Business podcast, a partnership of Meat and Livestock Australia, Australian Wool Innovation, Integrity Systems Company and Sheep Connect New South Wales. In the meantime, if you're finding this information really useful, we would love for you to share this podcast amongst your own networks and appreciate a rating and a review on iTunes so that other farmers can find this Back to Business podcast.